You're listening to Right at the Fork. This is Portland's Food Scene Podcast, and I'm Chris Angeles. I host events at Portland Food Adventures and also would be happy to program food vacations. Uh, So you can find us, in addition to Heather Jones, our producer, at rightatthefork.com. There's a contact form there. So you're welcome to not only write us about those things, but if you have guest ideas, we're always open to those as well. Uh, as a matter of fact, you can tweet it at foodpodcastpdx and hashtag guest ideas. Uh, so in addition to that, we're, you'll find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, a lot of the podcast sources. We certainly appreciate your sharing. And you can also find us on discoverportland.net and portlandfoodanddrink.com. Just look at their website under topics. Today... Um, we had to track, we had to do a little news on our own, track down, and very happy that she had the time to do this today, uh, Aaron DeJesus uh, of Eater PDX. It was announced recently that uh, she was going to be moving on and leaving her position to a new editor. And uh, upon hearing that, we've been talking a long time about having uh, her on the podcast because she's really an important person in the Portland food scene, uh, not to mention the fact that she's really wonderful and fun. Um, and so we thought we better have her on the podcast now because she's not going to be covering the Portland scene uh, for very much longer. She's going to the uh, national desk for Eater, which is, um, of course, most of you know. If you don't already, I can't imagine you're listening to this, but most of you know that Eater is the... Uh, the foremost food blog really across the U.S. and certainly here in Portland. And so Aaron's been writing for them and keeping abreast of the Portland food scene and keeping us abreast of the Portland food scene for four years while it's really blossomed. And uh, we're really honored to have her come on and chat with us about what it takes to do that job and, um, and some of her experiences in Portland food. Hey, listen, Aaron, pick it up a little bit. Get a little more energy, would you please? No, seriously? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually warning you, I'm extremely over-caffeinated right now. So no, that, I, can, I can hear it. That's why yeah, I that said that. Yeah, that might come through a little. <laughs> well, Heather just gave me some cookies with caffeine in them, too. So um, I'm uh, a cookie, one cookie. So I'll try to keep up with you. <laughs> um, okay, cool. But I am ready to go. Um, We're whenever. probably rolling already. We're going. Oh, okay. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thank you so much for taking time. I know, A, you're busy anyway, and B, you're probably busier now because you've got some exciting changes going on and things going on. So I really wanted to have you on because, first of all, we've been talking about having you on since we started this podcast. You're always <laughs> on the, the A-list, and uh, since reading Friday that you're leaving the post um, as editor in chief of Portland Eater, I thought, well, now's a good now's a good time, as good a time as any, and the best time, I think. Right. Well, no, thanks for having me. This is exciting. <laughs> thanks, we appreciate it. You know, you're uh, you've been a power player in Portland, and uh, you're I'm sure you're still going to wield a lot of power. Um, <laughs> and uh, it probably was a tough decision for you, I would imagine. Although four years, maybe not as tough. 
Uh, yes, it has been four years, which is, um, I think, longer than I anticipated. And then for the past year or so, um, I've been splitting time between Portland and National. So I think the National tr transition was something that we've been working on for a while now. Um, but yeah, the timing just happened to be right. Um, and I'm excited to see what a new editor can bring to Eater PDX. What, what kind of things do you think a new editor can bring? I mean, I look at the, I've had so many conversations with people about, look what Erin does and the job she does and, and that really a, the source, I think, uh, in Portland for food news. Um, what kind of job can a new editor bring that you haven't done? Because I think you really have done a marvelous job. And I'm not just saying that because we're sitting here. I've always thought that. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Um, no, that's very kind of you to say. But um, no, I mean, I think obviously the goal of the site will remain the same. We are primarily a restaurant news blog. Um, so there will be no crazy overhauls. You know, there are no restaurant reviews um, locally yet or, you know, recipes or anything like that. But um, no, I think a good, a, a fresh perspective is is always nice. I, I, I have my I think personal tastes um, that a new editor might sort of have a different opinion about or just personal interests. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see what a different perspective on the Portland scene will look like. Because um, I don't know. I think we're we're going to hopefully talk to some people and find out. <laughs> what What are the kinds of stories that get your attention the quickest, and that you look at and think this is this is a no brainer? Um, in terms of news stories, yes. Um, well. Uh, the way we like to describe our approach is that we tell the, we sort of track the lifespan of a restaurant, I think is the best way to put it. So we will follow a restaurant's story from its first inception. Um, obviously, the first announcements that chefs make um, about a new project are always the most exciting. Um, and then we will follow that all the way from, you know, the build out, the inevitable delays that happen there, to the menu development, to the opening, to the design. And then as the restaurant continues to grow, so that can involve um, menu changes or chef changes or um, sometimes, unfortunately, uh, closures is, is the end of that specific life cycle. So every restaurant story is a little bit different. Um, but in terms of what gets our radar most excited, it's obviously, you know, the idea that something new is coming is always fun. And I know as far as talking to you in the past, you're... Um... You're not really like the New York Post where you'll look for anything and say anything. You're very respectful of uh, discretion if someone doesn't want something out, because we've discussed these things. <laughs> you, won't, you won't publish it. So it's a little different approach. You've got to kind of dig and try to find things out. So if you find something out from a uh, source um, and they say, gee, I really don't know if this should be public, what, what do you do? What what's the next step? Do you actually go and try to confirm that it's okay and that this is actually, ha that it is an actual news story? Uh, yes. Yes. That is the next step. Um, it, it really does depend on the story. Um, if again, if it's, uh, an opening or something exciting, uh, that's a different approach than a, a rumor that a restaurant's closing, which is always incredibly difficult to have to call somebody right. and ask them straight up, um, you know, what's I've, I've heard this, this potentially bad news, what's going on? That's always a very hard phone call to make. Well, um, but, and you're not always going to get an answer. You're not going to get someone to pick <laughs> up and you're not going to get them to return your call. So how many days go by before you say, listen, this person isn't answering me. I got to just publish this as a rumor. Um, I, f I rarely publish closings as rumors. Um, I have, I have c made calls in the past, um, in the recent past where I will call, you know, identify myself, ask for a manager, 
um, ask outrightly if a restaurant is closing and, you know, the managers don't know. Um, I'm hearing it from, you know, other people and, and the owners have not informed their staff yet, um, which is why just, I think discretion is, is very important. So those are, are difficult decisions to make. I won't publish a restaurant is, is closing unless there's some kind of official announcement or confirmation um, because you don't want people to to go online and, and discover that, you know, they're out of work. That's a, that's a horrible way to discover right. that that's and, happening. So. And as you said, those aren't quite as exciting. Those are sad mm-hmm. and everybody's going to get wind of that anyway. Uh, I guess it matters who breaks things first. Do you really care that you break it first or Michael Russell breaks some, something first? Does it matter to you? Um, it doesn't bother me. Um, I obviously, I enjoy getting scoops. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, I don't take scoops personally. I mean, your information about your business is to do what you wish with it. Um, so if you just, you know, if someone wants to break it on Facebook and do a general announcement to their fans, if they want to go to somebody else, um, I, I completely respect that. That's, it's not my place to dictate, you know, how, how you should announce things, um, when it comes to your business and your livelihood. So what, what is your relationship with Michael Russell? Do you guys converse a lot? Uh, on occasion, not as much as I would like to. Um, I think we're both very busy in our, in our bubbles. Um, but yeah, no, we, we chat, uh, occasionally, you know, get a drink, commiserate, that sort of thing. Okay. I just need to clarify. He's the main food writer at the Oregonian. So I always view you and Karen Brooks at Portland monthly and, and Michael is having a lot of, you guys can have a lot of impact on what's going on. You in a different way, because you're just really talking about facts and it's pretty objective. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't have to publish opinions. So, right. <laughs> um, and so you, you don't have to step as well. I don't know if they're stepping lightly um, uh, on what they do. They do what they do and they have to have thick skin to do it. So you don't necessarily need that. What about uh, someone who s- sorely wants to be published and, um, and you just haven't got, you just don't think it's newsworthy. How do you deal with that? Do you, do you ever have anybody come up to you after the fact and say, you know, what, what did it take? Um, yes, that, that does happen. And, um, that's a, a thing I hear frequently that, you know, we don't write enough about the older restaurants, which I agree with. Um, and there are lots of, you know, there are millions of cafes and coffee shops and, and folks who reach out. And we do try to cover as much as we can in terms of openings and that sort of thing. But it is difficult to even describe to you now, like, what makes something newsworthy. Um, un- but unfortunately, I mean, a big part of it is that if your restaurant is consistently good for 15 years, um, that's not quite news. <laughs> so we need to yeah. think of a different way to maybe cover you um, in terms of features or interviews or and acknowledge, you know, the great work that those people are doing, but in a less sort of newsy way. And you're, we're in a market where there's a lot happening. So um, you can, you post a lot. I'm always impressed mm-hmm. with it. But how many, how many, what's your limit per day or what's your, what's your quota? How many posts a day um, do you need? And then that's kind of the reason you can't get to everything, right? You can't, if you actually got to every press release you got and every phone call, uh, I would imagine all we'd be seeing are eater posts all day. And you probably <laughs> would have given this up long ago. Uh, yeah, so we do about six to eight posts a day, which I think is is right for a city of this size. Um, are there more? Are there more in New York and San Francisco and LA? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, Boston is another one of those markets. Vegas, they'll do um, those ten to twelve, and then New York more. Um, but no, those are definitely parameters that I had to figure out as as I started. Um, you know, what's a reasonable amount of coverage that we can offer? 
Um, again, I mean, I think the suburbs are a, a huge untapped sort of area that we don't go into or yet the new editor may choose to um, just because of, of the amount of posts that we have to work with a day. So for me, uh, six to eight is about right. Um, but again, you know, I would love to see a new person sort of expand and, and see what else they could do with that. And so what happens when you, if, <laughs> if you take vacations, how do you, how do you yeah. handle that? <laughs> Um, I'm very bad at taking vacations. Well, you want to <laughs> so get better. That, I'm just telling you, I'm I'm just a slightly older than you are. That's your goal. You want to have more vacations. Oh, I, yeah. Um, and hopefully this, this transition will make that possible. But um, no, usually when, when we take time off, um, all the other we, uh, eaters in 27 cities across North America. Um, so when an editor takes off, then we'll usually ask a fellow editor from a different city just to sort of babysit the site for a while. So um, I've had uh, Sarah up in Eater Seattle watch Portland. I've watched her site. Um, that's sort of the way we do it. Yeah, that's interesting. So, mm -hmm. so how much interaction do you have with them? Do you ever call Sarah and say, listen, I have, I have this problem. Can you, what do you, how would you handle this? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, we are all, um, very much online all day. So we have, uh, lots of sort of in, in, uh, in network channels, I guess. Um, to chat with each other. So yeah, I'm in um, pretty con constant contact with a lot of city editors and of course the national editors also, um, mostly via the internet. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would imagine so. Okay, the Eater 38, I often mm -hmm. think, man, that had to be tough to let that person off. Because honestly, there are so many worthy restaurants. So at yeah. the end of the day, someone falling off the Eater 38 is not, you know, they have to just look at it as, man, I was on there. And there just needs to be room for somebody else. But mm -hmm. can you look back on your four years and think, man, here's the most painful decision I made with the Eater 38 or there were two, two that were right down to the wire. Can you, um, can you remember can any of those? Honestly, say they're all very painful. Um, I, it's, it, it's very difficult to update that every quarter. And uh, I'm actually very excited to see what the new editor's 38 looks like, because it could be a completely, completely different list. Um, but no, there have, there have been a lot of, so many like borderline decisions. I think the most recent one, um, which came out in July, uh, Natural Selection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw list. that came off. Yes. And they've um, been on a long time and they carry the torch for a whole you know side of the food business that doesn't have a lot of play here. Yes, exactly. Um, that was a very difficult one to drop. I mean, it's still a great restaurant. And I think what we try to reinforce every time we update is that you know, these are all still excellent restaurants that I would recommend um, to different people for different reasons. But it's, and then you have the heat map. You can use the heat of, map, right, to for a little overflow. Uh, the heat map actually only focuses on the newest restaurants. Well, that's so, what I mean. But if you have a new one that you think, all right, I'm not going to knock knock natural selection off for this restaurant. I can put them on the heat map and still give them some give them you know their due. No, um, that yeah, doesn't that's happen. True. Um, the the heat map is sort of designed to to not overlap with the thirty eight. So one of the criteria for the thirty eight is that a restaurant must be open for at least six months, and six months is around how long I want to keep a restaurant on a heat map. Um, the heat map focuses on the newest openings, the sort of buzziest openings. It's actually less of an indicator of um, of what the restaurant is doing than maybe sort of the excitement that people have for the story of the restaurant before it even opens. Mm -hmm. So um, a restaurant, you know, it'll open, it'll be brand new, it will be on the heat map. And then my personal philosophy with it is ideally um, at the six month mark is when enough new restaurants will sort of push it off 
a heat map. How so it, 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 it would flow um, in a perfect world directly from heat map to 38 if, you know, it was worthy of being on 38. Right. So how often do you update the heat map? I'm sorry. I don't. Um, every month. So oh, that's a monthly thing. On, yes, on Thursday. So or, something can't go by too long and have a buzz without being recognized in the heat map because, uh, you know, it's uh, there's so much going on. And that's your okay. job. That's why I think there's a lot of pressure on you to keep up with it and and obviously it'll be pressure on the new person but it's kind of hard to keep up with the scene here there's so many new there's things so coming and going on. all the time <laughs> and i would imagine on a at, for sure on a per capita basis compared oh, yeah. to the big markets um you know you've got more going on here than you do there on the other hand per capita doesn't really matter when you're an editor unless you've got three or four to back you up mm-hmm. but um you know there's a lot going on everywhere else but in terms of new stuff going on in portland for instance like how's the syracuse eater doing <laughs> i love that you brought up syracuse i, I had to bring up syracuse you uh you syracuse. Would, we both went to syracuse you graduated from there i didn't make it through the end i ended up <laughs> i ended up finding uh warmer pastures in tucson arizona after spending the worst the worst winter ever in the history of Syracuse, and we've talked about this. Oh, yeah, which I can't even imagine how bad that would have been. It was bad. It was 80 below with the wind chill <laughs> factor the day that I registered for classes in January of 19. Oh, gosh. I won't even say the year. I'm going to leave that out. Um, so um, do you do you recall, were you into food when you were younger? And I just have to ask this question because I, knowing you were coming on today, I started thinking about what food do I remember in Syracuse that wasn't in Brewster Hall. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> um, God, I can't really remember anything. I just, um, maybe it's a function of my age, but, or nothing really stood out. Well, when I was there, Brewster Hall was the best of all the um, the cafeteria or the dining halls on campus. Um, it was, yeah, absolutely the best one. But um, no, like, I, I was absolutely into food. Um, I've been into food as long as I can really remember. Um, I'm very blessed that my mother is an excellent cook. Um, That was the idea of of eating good quality food has always been ingrained in me. Um, Where where did you grow up? Where did you grow up? In New Jersey. Oh, okay. Yes. Which which is why you landed in Syracuse. 98% of people when I was there, they were New Jersey and Long Island. I was... Yes, New Jersey, Long Island, or Boston were the three. The really? three main. And there <laughs> yes. were a few from Connecticut. I knew a lot. I knew quite a few people when when I was there. Um, yeah. So no, I've I've always appreciated food, but I think no. I mean, I was uh, as an undergrad. I mean, you're eighteen, nineteen. No, you're a just lot of learning. Dining hall food, fast food. Yeah. Um, Wegmans, which was an excellent grocery store. God, and, I don't even remember. Yeah, I mean. Uh, no, I'm trying to remember. I mean, there are a couple of like more slightly like upscale pubs that we liked a lot, but no, I, I don't have any, you know, like food based memories during my time there, really. What kind of food did your mom make? What was what, what was she into? Oh, uh, well, I'm Chinese, so uh, she's an excellent Chinese food cook. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and now you're in a market that doesn't have, I mean, it has some great Chinese, but. Uh, relative to other cuisines, we don't have a lot of Chinese here. Yeah, no, that is that is one of the things that I make a point to go home and eat. Um, yeah, the suburbs of New Jersey where I grew up has a very large Chinese population. So um, excellent dim sum, excellent soup dumplings. That's sort of what I want when I go home is is Chinese food. Um, and yeah, do you get into Manhattan at all? Do you get into New York to go eat when you go home? I do, yes. Um, well, you're there quite a bit because you have some eater functions that would take you into New York. 
Yes. Um, so one of our offices is based in New York City. And um, I, I also lived there for a couple of years after graduation. So most of my college friends are still based in the New York City area. So yeah, I'm lucky enough where I, you know, this year hasn't been that year, but I do go back to the East Coast pretty frequently. How big is Eater and part of Curbed Network? When you go to their offices, what kind of, what, what is it like there? Oh, well, they just switched offices. I don't know. I haven't been to the new one yet. But um, we uh, actually last November were purchased by uh, Vox Media. So um, we are technically a Vox Media property at this point, And they recently moved those offices into Vox's offices in Midtown. Um, but uh, we like, yeah, so I guess we're still the Curbs Network in a way. But um, we are now a Vox Media property. So it's a different... Do they, do you, I, I know it's kind of formatted. So every, you know, there's a Seattle 38, there's a 38 in every city. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, from what I can see, you're posting a lot of the same types of things at the same time as other cities. So you're under deadlines. Um, and how much autonomy do you have from those folks? How much, how much do you have to run by uh, someone else before it runs? Um, my day to day is pretty autonomous, which is, which is really great. And that's been something that I've enjoyed, um, about this job since day one. Um, Lockhart Steele, who was the founder, is the founder of the Curve Network. He's now the VP of editorial across Vox Media. But, um, what he does, and I think what a lot of us appreciate is that he puts a lot of faith and trust in his editors. He acknowledges that, you know, your city is way better than, you know, some guy in New York will ever know your city. So the day to day is, is really it's really up to each individual city editor, um, and then on occasion we do have um, coordinated posts. You know, like all the thirty eights and the heat maps will drop on the same day. Um, theme weeks are something that we discuss, um, obviously far in advance as a group ahead of time. And then there are the occasional maps um, and those sorts of things, like interviews where we will try to coordinate and all do them together on the same day. But no, the day to day, it's I mean, there's no I don't have to check in with anybody in the morning or anything like that. Well, we're going to take a quick break here to take care of business. We'll be right back. This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Yelp, a website and mobile app that connects people with great local businesses. For business owners, Yelp offers Yelp Seat Me, a powerful front-of-the-house management system for restaurants of all shapes and sizes, big or small, fancy or casual. Yelp Seat Me is accessible from any web-enabled device and comes complete with everything you need to run your business, all for just $99 a month. No setup fees, no cover fees, and no minimum contract. Start your free trial today at seatme.yelp.com. That's S-E-A-T-M-E dot Y-E-L-P dot com. And now back to the show. So you must eat pretty well when you go to other cities because when I'm somewhere, the first thing I look for is the 38 as far as sources, and I've had some really good experiences so you must eat well, and I'll tell you what, you must get so many people, and I'm sure it's frustrating in a way, because I get a lot of people who do this. Where should we go eat? Mm-hmm. And that's it. <laughs> just left open, not what do I feel like, when, you know, what day of the week, anything. Just where should we go eat? And for you, the reason I said it's frustrating, I mean, it's all right there. You've, been do- you've done the work already, and now they want personalized service. Right. But uh, I'm, I am happy to provide, you know, um, but yeah, it's like you said, it's a back and forth. It's like, well, give me more information. What cuisine are you interested in? You know, what neighborhood will you be in? Um, that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I do get a lot of emails um, and I'm, you know, happy to oblige people say uh, with enough with enough notice, not I'm here now, but I'm coming in a couple weeks. Um, what do you recommend? Because yes, yeah, so the 38 is is a guideline. Um, but 
Yeah, but if someone's coming to town, that's 38 places plus the heat map. Uh, they really need personalized service. And here's why I say that, because I get a lot of those questions from people I know and I don't know. And in either case, I have different reasons to throw suggestions out there. But my frustration is you can put your time into it. And really, I put a lot of thought into it. Here's where you might want to go. And here's what you might want to do after you eat there, go here, go there. And then in many cases, I'll follow up and say, so did you go? Oh no, we decided not. We right. just, they're they're going to go where they were. We just go went in the to Applebee's place. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I and I look at that and I think, why? You know, you got to be nice and you want to be nice, and that's part of who you are. But on the other hand, it's kind of if someone's going to ask and take your time, I think they should be going to where you tell them to go. Yeah, but I I I'm also a proponent of spon- spontaneous dining. So you know, if you happen to walk by something else. Um, well, yeah, I don't disagree I just, <laughs> there. But well, I think I like to put people in areas where that can happen. And yes. and I always say, go here, and then you know, look around. Just throw a dart, and you'll be okay. So. Uh, right. But at yeah, any rate, I think we have we have like neighborhood sections of the site too. Um, you know, if you were to click on something, ideally that's how that would work as well. You'd be like, oh, okay, I'm in Northeast Portland. Click on that section, sort of poke around and see see what's here. Uh, yeah, but in your case, more so than anyone's, you've you've already done the work. So I think it'd be easier to say, hey, it's right here. Here's right. the URL, <laughs> and uh, and that's the same thing. It's it's just the internet version of spontaneity. Okay, throw these. Keep these in mind. Uh, you know, I remember when I was in Seattle not long ago, and you have, in, as it, as I do in Portland, brain freeze. You know, mm-hmm. you have so many options, you can't even come close to making a decision. So I, I remember thinking, I'm going to the 38, and I'm going to pick the last one on the list, the bottom okay. one, alphabetically, right? So I ended up at the Whale Winds, and I had, like, the best time ever. So Oh, nice. Um, um, I actually literally tried to get in there. Like two weekends ago, um, on a Saturday, this was dumb, and the wait was two and a half hours. Really? <laughs> well, I walked. I walked right in, sat at the bar, and met someone there. And we actually we ended up hanging out for three or four hours, and uh, we still keep in touch on the phone. Believe it or not, so that was that was a really nice eater experience for me. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. And I think what, what I try to ask other editors when I go to their cities is I say, I'm going to be in this neighborhood. I'm looking at three, these, you know, three restaurants. Is there one dish out of those three that I absolutely need to eat? And I think that's a good way to sort of ask. You're asking for a very specific suggestion, um, but you also get options because usually they'll say, yes, there's one dish at each of those restaurants and here's what you should get. Um, I find that to be a helpful way to sort of solicit suggestions. That's a good way. And that kind of segues into something I definitely want to ask you. Do you have a dish over the past four years or even recently that blew you away more than others? And it's a really tough thing in this town because, first of all, you have to have a good memory. Oh, I have a terrible memory. Yeah, I do too. I, I can remember that I had a fantastic meal at Ox. And certainly I can remember the halibut. But I'm just throwing that out there as as any restaurant, but I don't. Oh, if someone says, "Well, what did you have?" Uh, uh, oh no, I'm the same way. It's really bad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and it's embarrassing because if it was so good, you should know what it is. Um, I tend to, yeah, I tend to remember more like overall experience. That's the same thing with as me, as opposed to even. Yeah, you just you remember like you had a great time, and you were you were living in the moment and thought, "Yeah, this is great." 
Yes, I tend to remember actually more like the people who I was dining with yeah. and and you know those sorts of situations than than actual meals, which is kind of odd, I guess. Um, That's but, why I think, and I want yeah, to, no, and we same. we need to have Gary the foodie on because I want to talk to him because he goes out a lot alone, and mm-hmm. I go out a lot alone, not as much as I used to because I've kind of hit the wall with it. I realize just what you're saying. I don't have the food can be fantastic. But unless I'm sitting at a chef's counter and having a lot of fun with the employees and people who work there or meeting people that are sitting next to me, which is what happened at the Whale Winds, it's the same mm-hmm. kind of thing. But if I end up and I don't have a conversation, to me, it's a wasted experience. I don't care how good the food is. It's it's the yeah. experience that matters. And that's why you know I kind of do what I do with my food events. It's important to me that people have a good time with other people. And exactly. it's not all about the food. The food, yeah. I think, is a the food and wine is a wonderful backdrop, but if the if you're sitting there and you're bored or you're with someone you don't like, <laughs> there's, there's nothing. <laughs> food's not going to save that, right? So, um, what brought you to Portland in the first place? Um, well, I was living in New York City and working at a magazine, and this was in 2009, which was when um, everything started going very downhill very quickly for a lot of magazine publishers. So um, my uh, boyfriend and I just decided that we needed a change of scene, and he happened to be from Portland, Oregon, which is how um, I, I very accidentally ended up here. Did he have to sell you on it, or did, what, how did that go? How did that happen? Um, it, there was a bit of, of selling. I'd only been to Portland once before, um, for about five or six days and I loved it here. Um, but I was not super sure about the cross country move. Again, most of my friends and family are still in New York, New Jersey area. Um, but I also happened to be looking into graduate school at the time and I could not afford to do that in New York city. And it was, um, it actually was a possibility. It was absolutely doable in Portland. So that was, those are sort of the two halves. It was, um, yeah, partially, you know, the way the publishing industry was going. And then I also decided that I wanted to go back to school. So this was a very, very good place. And to, what were you studying in school? It certainly wasn't uh, culinary arts. No, um, I, I went to Reed College for my master's and got an MA in liberal studies. Um, they do one general program and everybody gets the same degree. But my focus um, ended up being on like visual culture and visual culture theory is what I called my thesis. And so what what do you foresee doing with that? Uh, great question. Uh, well, staying in journalism, um, certainly. But I I think I'm I'm very interested in and the Eater job was great for that in in talking to and learning about creatively minded people, um, chefs being obviously among them, but also more generally speaking, you know, artists and writers and makers of things. And that was my, my graduate focus and, um, what I hope to be writing more about, um, you know, both at Eater and freelance and with other projects in the future. So do you just marvel at the creative spirit in this community? I just, to me, I've never been anywhere and I've lived a few places and, uh, I've never seen anything like this where Mm -hmm. there's so many people just who are into the art of what they do and it lands on your plate a lot. <laughs> and uh, I just, I marvel at that. And it's not only artistic and beautiful because, you know, an artist can paint and the good ones spend, a, you know, are there every day with the brush. Some aren't, but these people have to um, run a business and mm-hmm. 
have employees and get up every day and do the same thing over, which is not necessarily art after a while, right? right. It's glamorous to say I planned a menu and, and I'm doing this event with this chef and we're going to do this. And that's all, that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, they're coming in a restaurant and probably have a similar menu that they had the night before and doing mm-hmm. it. And it's so work. It is work. Yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, the city of Portland, I think, fosters that in that um, it's not a New York, it's not a San Francisco, it's affordable to be able to juggle several things, you know, and, and do them all at the same time. It's it's sort of my lifestyle since I've been here. Um, it's right. a great city for freelancers, for artists. Um, we know a lot of, you know, folks who are illustrators and who do all sorts of, they like hodgepodge a, a an income together, but they're doing things that they're really passionate about. And that's, it's nice to be around that. Yeah. Well, I've kind of done that since I moved out here too. It's yeah, put this it. together, do that, do that. And, uh, and who knew, you know, I didn't, I guess you didn't know what you were going to be doing when you came out here. And uh, a lot of us didn't, um, right. or that it would turn into something else. Are there other cities that if you, um, if you had to, uh, move, Obviously, you're doing something national now, and that's great. But if you had to, if you had your choice of going to another city to be the editor of Eater, which one would it have been, and why? Oh, interesting. Um, I don't know. It's it's interesting for me to think of what would have happened had I not left New York. Um, I am obviously I'm very attached to New York City. I I love it there. Um, I had a great experience there. I don't know that I could be the editor of Eater New York. <laughs> that would be that would be so, a lot. It's it's a um, yeah. Do they have just lot. one editor there, or there? Um, there's I mean, there's one main editor, but there is there is a team there. Right. So there's um, a senior editor, associate editor, and yeah, there's um, there's a much larger team in in New York. Um, but you know, I like now I don't know. Um, I'm very interested in San Francisco as a city. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to visit there more often. I feel like they're doing very interesting things down there. But, um, are there other editors that you're obviously that you're in touch with who are a little jealous of your place in Portland? Um, I don't know that, that, so. that response <laughs> indicates no. Yeah. Um, no, so I they're think. happy where they are in whatever cities they're in. They're happy to be doing that. But I just think that, you know, Portland's the, is a little bit of a darling of the media when it comes to food. So I would assume that they, you know, that they'd be a little envious or maybe the next person the the person who assumes your position they well i guess they have to come from portland you can't just move here and start doing this you have to know you gotta hit the ground running so right although i mean i i'd only lived in portland for about a year right but you had at least a year under your belt you can't you couldn't move here next week and start doing this in september or october right um yeah certainly and i think that's also been their strategy when it comes to choosing what cities to, to launch a new site in next. It's always, um, you find the right person and then you build the site for them. Not oh, that's the other interesting. Way around. Um, yes. Were you so not the how... first, were you the first editor in Portland? Uh, no, I wasn't. So the founding editor, um, so Eater Portland launched, I guess in November of 2009. Okay. And then I started in, um, like April, April, May ish of 2010. Okay. So there was someone, are they still in the business? Is whoever was doing it before you? Uh, uh, yes. Well, yes, she's still uh, in the in the writing business. Um, Eva Hagberg was her name. She moved, um, she was originally from New York City and came out to Portland and then ended up going to Northern California to get her PhD. So she left to, um, to go, uh, I think, the more academic 
writing route and I took it over. Yeah. About, I guess, six months after the site had launched. Okay. So there's going to be a transition period. You're going to hand the reins over to someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what skills will that person need to possess to thrive? Ah, um, well, we are definitely looking for somebody with news and reporting experience, um, is very helpful. I think you can, you can, you know, teach a lot of the intricacies of how, how the blog works and, and all that sort of thing. But a good news sense um, is, a, is a bit more difficult to do. So Especially be... news in relation to food? Is that important? Mm-hmm. There are, how many people do news and food? There are a lot of people who talk about food. There are certainly no shortage of those people, but then right. with a news bent? Right. Um, yeah, which is why I think uh, There's you. the idea of like the whole story <laughs> of the restaurant is a great way to put it. Because I think if, if you frame it to people in that way, it's easy for them to grasp, um, you know, how every little change is sort of representative of, you know, a longer, a longer lifespan. Um, but no, a good new sense. Um, I, the person should probably be more organized than I am. I am not very organized. <laughs> um, but no, I think it's, it's a great, um, it's a great position for somebody who is full-time freelance, which was how um, I fell into it. You, you, ha- you make your own hours, you can work on, you know, your other freelance writing projects um, while also having something that sort of anchors you to the workday in a positive way. So how so. much of your time do you, sp- you know, with your other freelance projects or how much, well, I guess I would ask this question uh, of someone taking the position or f- what your experience, how much of your time, y- your work week is devoted to Eater and how much to other things? Um, w- work things, uh, I'm not talking about leisure. Right. Uh, I would say half and half. Um, again, I did it while I was going to school and freelancing and it was, it actually balanced out rather well. So, um, yeah, it's, I don't know, half, half of your work time, maybe. That's good. (laughs) So, um, uh, and you're going to spend some time sitting down with someone or is it pretty much, well, here's all the technical things you need to know. And here's what I would suggest. And given the fact that you're still going to be at Eater, I'm sure you're going to be available for some sort of, hey, how did you handle this or how should I handle that? Yes, I'm certainly around. Um, The way the sites are structured, we actually have a different, the national team is separate from the city editor's team. Mm -hmm. But um, that said, we do have a city editor who is based in New York and whose job is to is to help, you know, people transition and and do all of that. So you're um, you're gone like, goodbye as far as this is concerned. Oh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm around. I'm staying. Right. But I'm just saying that there's someone else that that that, that person should go to. Yes. Uh, yes if they there need will be it. somebody else for that person to report. to. And so what are you going to be doing nationally? What's what what kind of things are you going to be writing about? What are we looking forward to? Um. I don't know. Uh, I, so I'm keeping my current, uh, so I'm staying on the West Coast. I'm staying in Portland. I'm very fortunate that has worked out. To um, Right now, I've been the evening news editor of Eater National, which basically means um, I'm on the site from, you know, 2 to 5 p.m. our time, but, you know, 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern, so with the evening news shift. So I'll continue doing that. And then also um, writing more longer form pieces, um, more reported pieces, um, so stories, hopefully similar to, um, I did a big piece on spam for international last month. Um, I, you know, I've been interviewing chefs across the country for national for the past year. So I think just more of that and, and talking to different folks. Well, let, let me hear about spam. I want to hear about spam. <laughs> oh, God, you're talking, you're talking about the can spam, correct? Yes. The can spam. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so for how me- big is that? You know, every once in a while, that's one of my guilty pleasures and I, I know it's terrible. I guess it's terrible. I don't know, but goes way back, but tell me about spam. 
Yeah, I wrote a, um, a history, a brief history of Spam, the lunch meat uh, for International last month, which did really well and was a very, really fun piece to report. Um, I talked to, you know, food historians and to chefs um, who currently use Spam on their menus or have used Spam on their menus. Just uh, to talk are they about... using it in a serious fashion or is it a little more of a joke? That oh, no, in a, in a completely serious fashion. I mean, I, I grew up eating Spam. Um, and are you, yeah, do you it, still it indulge once in a while? Thing. I want to I hear other people who do this. Uh, who do what? Who I want to hear about? Do you still eat? Do you still buy an occasional can of spam? I don't. No, I, oh, I, I, ate, I ate spam for the first time when I was researching or for the first time in a long time, researching it. And it's it. It was one of those instances where like your food memories and your nostalgia for things you ate as a kid do not match up to yeah, that, how they taste to you in the yeah. present, which is kind of funny. I think you just got to keep up with it over time, and then it never changes. And then it never changes. No, right. it was way saltier than I remembered. Um, the, you know, but you know, my parents served it when for breakfast when I was a kid. We right. would eat it with toast, and um, it it actually shocked me. I was you know talk, talking to friends and to colleagues while you know working on this piece. It was really surprising to me how few people had actually eaten it. Um, I see. Ton- the reason I ask is because there's tons of, you know, it's always stocked in the in the show on the shelves. Anyway, I don't want to go too far into spam, <laughs> but, uh, but no, on an English these, muffin these with cream cheese, it's pretty good. Yeah, now these are the kinds of stories I'll hopefully be working on more in the future. Fantastic. So uh, you spent a, quite, you know, you went to a lot of events. You were invited to, and you certainly know people in the food scene. Who uh, does anybody come to your mind? Come to mind as like the nicest chef you know, the the person who is just you would say far not is just a super person because it's not an easy job. Uh, the nicest chef I know in town. Yeah. Um, actually, actually, yeah, I was ha- funny. I was having this conversation with um, somebody else just a couple of days ago. But um, uh, I don't know. Do I want to name? <laughs> well, in a, we can in a positive way. Yes, that's yeah. We... Um, no, I mean, uh, I think Jose at Atala is one of the guys. Who I, I and... he's the most genuine, genuine person. Um, I think I've ever you know gotten to to work with, even vaguely. Um, Earl from from Padi. Um, also comes to mind. Um, both those guys are just a, they're they're a joy to run into. I, I like seeing them a lot. There, I would completely agree with you. I, as a matter of fact, in the last few weeks, I've had some of my some fantastic experiences with those two folks. Mm-hmm. They're, they're great, great guys. I'll throw. I mean, at the and I know you didn't want to name names because it's really who you're not mentioning that you're more concerned about. <laughs> but I'll throw Aaron Barnett into that mix. Oh, yeah, he's a great too. He's a a really nice guy. All right, so I would be remiss, you know, again, I'm kind of, I'm being a little bit of a hypocrite here because I mentioned this before, but um, I guess it's all on your website, I mean, on the blog, on Eater, I know that, but offhand, some of your favorite food experiences recently, I I mentioned that before, we kind of went away from it, but uh, some restaurants that if someone were coming in out of town, I know it's on the Eater 38, but I just wanted to hear you. Yeah, well, uh, you know, that, that, that is actually how I approach it when people ask, like, what are your favorite restaurants? I always frame it more as, like, here where, here's where I take people from out of right, town. Right, that's the way I do it. Um, yeah. Actually, I mean, I just mentioned Atala and Longbon. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite me- meals in recent memory within the past, you know, few months was at Longbon. Um, mm-hmm. I think they're doing great things there. Um, I always take people to Ned Ludd. I love Ned Ludd. Mm-hmm. Um, I think nice a, Portland experience. It's a very Portland experience, um, and it's always great. Um, like breakfast, dinner, uh, brunch, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Those two. 
uh, always have a soft spot spot for Tanuki, um, which is the the sake shop slash izakaya action mm-hmm. in Montevilla. Um, I've yeah, we've been going there since you know we moved here, and it was on Northwest Twenty First Avenue. Um, where else? Do you mm-hmm. and uh, and your boyfriend generally agree on where you like to eat, or do you have same similar tastes? We do. Um, yeah, he's a yeah, very that's good. That helps a relationship. Yes, he's an adventurous eater. Um, I think we we uh, we both are. We're sort of yeah. I would say we have similar tastes. <laughs> good. Any food carts come to mind or uh, bars? Oh yeah. Well, Nong's is another. Um, yeah, I should have mentioned Nong's up front. That's a must must take everybody. Um, experience for me and um, have you been, you've been to the restaurant then i have not oh yeah i have not been there yet and is it, what kind of experience is it compared to the food cart oh it's um we have a place to sit which is nice uh, yeah. i mean the, the food itself is it's the same is still i mean it's great um i took my parents there when they came to visit and that's i think probably their favorite place in portland um it's so simple and it's so good and um let's see bars hmm. That's harder. I'm not. I'm not really a regular at any bars. So are you are you not a big drinker? You're more of a. If you happen to be eating, you'll order a cocktail or a drink. Oh no, I think I, I think it's more so like I'm. I'm not a regular really mm-hmm. at any at any bars. Right. Um, I'm more of a beer drinker, beer and cocktails than wine. But um, no, I think bars are there are the like. Well, I guess restaurants too. I think in this position, you kind of you were kind of forced to go everywhere. Um, you can't, it's hard to be a regular somewhere, which is um, a silly thing to complain about. But no, it that, is. That it's really hard. And, and then you must find it hard. You want to be um, an equal opportunity diner. Mm-hmm. And it's, I find it really hard because there are a lot of places you want to get to, God, at least once a year. And yeah. it's tough because you only, you can only eat so much and budget only goes so far. So I right. imagine, is there a place that if you were to be a regular and money was never an object. You just could be a regular and go all the time. And getting a seat was not a, it was not a challenge. Is there a place you would say, this is the place I'd like to be a regular? Um, I would love to be a regular at Ox for, I mean, all of those reasons. Skip the line. And um, it, that's one of those places that I don't get to frequently enough because I, I know that it's good. I trust that it'll be great. So there's no need to, you know, go quote unquote, check in on it or right. anything like that. And as a result, I never get to go to Ox. Yeah, no, I, same thing. I haven't been, I just realized I'm always thinking about it and I don't think I've been there for a year and it's crazy because I love it so much. Right. Um, so yeah, that's one. I, uh, I like having a towel in the neighborhood. I'm based in Northwest. I think that's probably the closest to a regular I am. There's a lot right going now, on there only... now. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump oh, in. Oh, no, no, go ahead. There's a lot going on in Northwest all of a sudden. Yeah, it's it's, it's exciting. Um, we were, I was getting tired of the, the options here for a while, and, and we've had a couple of, of big openings. Good. Have you ever been to Moo Moo's? I have been to Moo Moo's, yeah. That, that was my first meal in Portland, so I... I I hold it dear to my heart. Oh, uh, our first meal in Portland was at the um, at the new old Lompoc before it got torn down and is now the Lompoc Tavern. But um, yeah, no, another Northwest, just very comfortable old bar. Um, yeah, the Lompoc was my so, first. So I guess you'll be you'll have the opportunity on your blog to say goodbye to Portland as the editor of Eater, which I, you know, I don't mean to gush too much over this, but as as an avid reader and someone whose eater is kind of part of my daily life and personally and in business. Um, it's kind of sad to see you go. I know we're all excited about somebody new, but is there 
anything that you might say as parting words to loving words to the city of Portland and, and all the chefs and artisans who make it what it is? Oh, um, well, I mean, I'm not leaving, leaving. I'm, no, I'm... but you're, you're not going to be writing about them uh, the, in the same way that you were. I know. Um, but no, they have, it's honestly been, it's been such a joy to kind of chronicle, um, as you said, you know, the Portland dining scene as the national spotlight sort of, you know, just started to investigate it. And, um, it's been, it's been really fun. And I feel like I will actually hopefully like see people more often now, um, which is odd, but, uh, I think, yeah, schedule wise, it'll, it'll work out where hopefully I will be able to, you know, be out and about and actually see people in person and, and do all of that more frequently now. So that's exciting. Well, so maybe, um, I'll be, you know, in person instead of behind a keyboard. Yeah, I think bo- both are good. You're great at your, you're always fun to be around, fantastic to read, and let's make a point the the of meeting up at Ox soon. How about that? Yes, that sounds perfect. <laughs> All right, love that. Thank you so much, Aaron, for uh, taking time out of your schedule to come and uh, chat with us. And thanks. Oh, no, thank you. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm going to thank you for all the great dining experience I've had because of what you've written. So, And I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. Oh, thanks. It's always great to hear. <laughs>